go to all the world with the kingdom hope unfilled. It's a wonderful truth. And, and just in conjunction with that, please be reminded that our in-step conference, Bible conference, annual conference, is less than five weeks away. And I know there's a number of you who haven't registered. And um, whether some of you have had difficulty online, I don't know. Um, but for the sake of those who have, I've put some little forms out there so you can do it offline. Okay. In other words, you take up a pen and pencil and register. The conference is free this year, remember? It doesn't cost. But if you want to stay here for the Saturday evening meal, it will cost you $25. Uh, there's a cheaper rate for children. You have a, look, have a go online to find that out or make inquiries. But um, please register because you must register and uh, you must come to the conference because it's all about mission, going to the world and planting churches and seeing the gospel the kingdom hope unfilled. So come along and um, please register for that so that we can have an idea of catering for morning teas, afternoon teas and lunch, etc., etc., and even the setup of this building. So please do that um, even as you go out today if you haven't done it already. Thank you very much uh, for that. Let's turn to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6. Second Corinthians chapter 6 and follow along with me as I read uh, this text, please. And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time I listened to you and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no offence, giving no cause for offence in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited, but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance and afflictions and hardships and distresses and beatings and imprisonments and tumults and labours and sleeplessness and hunger, in purity and knowledge and patience and kindness in the Holy Spirit and genuine love, in the word of truth and the power of God by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left by glory and dishonour, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying yet behold we live, as punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful yet not always rejoicing, yet always, sorry, yet as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. God would add a blessing to the reading of his word. I did encourage you who get the digital bulletin to read through this and no doubt as you did, some of you may have thought, wow, what on earth is all this about? And um, and just reading it on face value without thinking, uh, that's a pretty good uh, valid question. But as context rules, we need to understand here that those who are in Christ, verse 17 of the prior chapter, are ambassadors for Christ, verse 20 of chapter 5. So you got that? In Christ and for Christ. That's our privileged mission work. We go to all the world with kingdom hope unfilled. We're ambassadors for Christ. And that's what, as believers in Jesus Christ, that's what we are called to do. We appeal on behalf of Christ for sinners to be reconciled to God. We had that in verse 20 of chapter 5. But as you know, with privilege always comes responsibility. And here in this text, 
we see the example that the Apostle Paul set in carrying out his responsibility as an ambassador for Christ in the ministry that he was given and that we're all given, the ministry of reconciliation. We have learned that every believer has been given this, committed. We read that in verse 19, the word of reconciliation, that is the truth of the gospel. Not only have we become recipients of its wonderful message, but now we are recipients in order to be ministers of that. We're to be involved in spreading it. We're to go to all the world with the kingdom hope unfurled. We have learned that's the case for every true born-again believer. But what does this ministry look like in everyday life? What does this ministry of reconciliation look like in the workplace, in the home, wherever we are, and even while we still have breath? What does this ministry really look like? Well, that's where this section, with all its as, 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 bye, 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 in, 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 uh, phrases that they begin with. That's where this section is so helpful because what it does, it can speak into our lives as believers in Jesus Christ on how and the attitude we should have as ambassadors for Christ. The section is not so much about Paul commending himself or defending himself with words. That's kind of inferred in chapter 5 where Paul speaks and others actually were parading who they are in words. That's what Paul, Paul doesn't do that here, but what Paul does is that he commends his ministry with his actions. His actions affirm his words. And because every believer is engaged in the ministry of the gospel, we need to really take heed of what the Spirit of God is emphasizing here through this exemplary life of the Apostle Paul, because that's what it is. We're getting an inside view. We're getting an up-close, personal, intimate view of how the Apostle Paul's mind and heart toward God ticked. And he's our example, right? This is what we're to follow. Be imitators of me, as I also am of Christ, Paul said. You see, because even prior to this, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul spoke of his lack of oratory skill, if you want to put it that way. But there is nothing that lacked in his action and behaviour. And that is so, so important. After all, who wants to listen and heed and follow and learn from someone whose words are not backed up by their behaviour and lifestyle? I don't. You know how difficult it is when you see one of our politicians who lack moral fibre and you hear all sorts of things that they get up to and, oh wow, it's really difficult to see them and, and value them as one of our leaders, right? Well, Paul lays open his life here as a believer and as a minister of the gospel for all of us to see. And as you know, just a little backing up a little bit, Paul's historic audience was the Corinthian church. And here this church was a mixture of believers and, can I say, mere professors. There were genuine believers, but these genuine believers were in danger of being led astray by the false prophets that had come amongst them. And these genuine believers were in danger of, of following after legalistic practices in order to earn God's favour. 
They were in danger of going down that track. But there were also those who thought they were Christian, thought they were genuine believers, by following this church that had sprung up and by attending and by association, they thought they were Christian by association and by following a few religious practices. This is a cross-section of the Corinthian church and dare I might say not too far out from a cross-section of even the evangelical church today. This was a church, as I said before, was established by Paul and he spent 18 months ministering to it and ministering to those who came to faith. Paul loved these people. He has an open heart toward them. Even though, even though since being with them for those 18 months, they had maligned his character, they had maligned his personal integrity and his calling as a minister of the gospel. They called all that to question and they doubted him. And so Paul, after sending them two other letters, outside of this one that we're reading now, and also enduring a painful visit to them, he went to them to address both moral and spiritual issues that had come to the fore. What he does now is he writes this final letter to call attention and remind them of his God-appointed ministry among them as a minister of reconciliation. And so he defends himself and the ministry for the sake of the gospel and the gospel's ability to bear fruit for God amongst these once rebel sinners. That's what he wants to do. That's what his longing is. And so here in chapter 6, he continues the thread of how a minister of reconciliation, an ambassador for Christ, which every true believer in this room is, should conduct him or herself. And it starts on the heart, it starts in the mind. And so what Paul begins with is an ambassador's appeal is not to receive the grace of God in vain. But before we get there, it's worthy of note of this working relationship that we have described here in, in this early section, in this first verse, first phrase. And working together with him, you see that? The word together has been correctly explained in the italics in the, NA, the New American Standard Bible and it's got an italics with him. It's been correctly explained because that's what it means. That is, the Lord referred to as him at the end of verse 21. You see there, at the end of verse 21, chapter 5, the righteousness of God, him. So the, the Lord referred to there at the end, of verse, in the end of verse 21 is the who that we work with in verse 1 of chapter 6. So there's a continuation, there's a thread here so that, that we might become the righteousness of God in him and working together with him, there's no break here, there's a continuation. And probably it shouldn't even be chapter 6. Probably if you wanted chapter 6, it should have ended, ended mainly probably at, at the end of verse 2. So we have the same thing here. But let's back up a little bit further uh, just for your interest's sake to see the connectivity uh, we have in verse 17 of chapter 5, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creature. And we talked about that. And it describes the transformation that takes place when a sinner like ourselves comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And as a result of that eternal blessing of salvation, we have earthly responsibilities 
to be, as we have talked about, ambassadors for Christ in verse 20. You see that? So let's connect some dots here. Those who are in Christ, verse 17, chapter 5, are now ambassadors for Christ, verse 20, chapter 5, but that's not all. Here in 6.1, believers now work, they serve together with him. So we're in Christ, for Christ and with Christ. Talk about being one in Christ, right? You see, no true minister of the gospel is ever alone, folks. We're never alone. We serve wherever we serve, with Christ. And that should be a great encouragement. A great encouragement. You know, think of the Apostle Paul here, a man who suffered immensely. He continued on in the ministry despite huge emotional and physical trials that he had to face on a daily, year-in, year-out basis. The moment he came to faith on the Damascus Road, we can describe just looking from a worldly perspective, his life was like hell on earth. But you know what? He pursued his call without deviation as an ambassador for Christ because he never lost sight of the truth that he was in partnership and he was a co-worker with Jesus Christ. Dear people, that should be the greatest and that is the greatest motivation any believer can have in serving the Lord. It is to understand that we are in partnership with him. Sometimes I think, honestly, we forget that. We get caught up in the programs, we get caught up in the, in the methodology, and we get caught up in this is a better way than that's a better way. But in all that morass of stuff, oftentimes we are guilty of forgetting that we are co-workers with the Lord. The Lord's with us. To appreciate that God has condescended to work with us and through us to have his message of reconciliation proclaimed is nothing other than an awesome truth that we should delight in and revel in and and rejoice in. And Paul makes much of this truth. It's not only here that he makes much of this truth. He's already written in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. We are God's fellow workers. Remember? On another occasion, he wrote to another church, the Philippian church, and he said this to them. It is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. So Paul was enamoured with this, the fact that God would work through with him and through him to bring about his purposes in the lives of ordinary people like those about him and like us here this morning. He wrote to the Colossians on another occasion, the Colossian church, and said, For this purpose also I labour, here he is, I labour striving according to his power which works mightily within me. So Paul's ministry, Paul's work and labour for the Lord, he understood and appreciated that the Lord was with him. Folks, when we get tired, when we get frustrated with all the hindrances of life, because life throws heaps of those kind of things against us, right? When we get frustrated and where we don't see the ministry or our ministry going as it should, in the home, in the workplace, in the church, no matter where it is, 
when you see no light, when you see no breakthrough, when you see no one coming to faith, but only ridicule and opposition to your stand in the faith, when you experience and see that, never, never, never give up. Focus on the fact that you are a a worker, a co-worker with Christ. Christ is with you and you have been his chosen ambassador to be his mouthpiece. Now, this is not a self-esteem message, but if you could have a biblical one, this is a good one, right? You are God's chosen person. You are his ambassador to wherever you are and Christ is with you. You are God's seed sower. Another scripture tells us. So sow the seed of the gospel, the kingdom. We must, amen? We must. He has given us that responsibility and so we work with him on this project. You know, the amazing fact that God, would, God does work with us should give us great encouragement, especially when the difficulties abound. Why? Why, Why should that give us great encouragement? Because his work never fails. His work never fails. Oh yeah, our work fails. We crash and burn heaps. Heaps. But his work never fails. His redemptive word and work through his ambassadors will always accomplish its task. Isaiah picks this up way back in the Old Testament. God never changes, you know. Isaiah 55 and verse 11, and you'll know this verse well. Isaiah said, speaking on the behalf of the Lord, being God's mouthpiece, he said, So shall my word that goes out of my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing in which I sent it. English Standard Version. What an encouraging truth that is, that Christ is with us, and his word that we use that people hear and come to faith by, will never, ever fail. And then we see that a true ambassador for Christ is one who appeals on behalf of God's people. This is what we see in our text. You see, the believer is not only privileged to work with God, but also we have the responsibility to urge and warn people as God would. You got that? As God would. Sometimes we miss this out too. We kind of engineer our own gospel, you know. We'll leave all the difficult stuff out, but we'll only major on the good stuff and the positive stuff and the stuff that might make this person feel comfortable or good. But a good ambassador, a faithful ambassador, will urge and appeal to people as God would. And how does he appeal and, uh, and urge people? That they might not receive the grace of God in vain. You see that? Right in verse 1. And this simply means, that not to receive the grace of God in vain, simply means do not turn away or treat with indifference the gospel of God's grace that brings forgiveness and eternal salvation. Don't turn away from it. Don't treat it with indifference. Don't ignore it. Because if you do, it's treating it in vain. And so we're to urge people not to do that. Now, of course, the, Paul, the Apostle Paul had the, the church at Corinth, the believers at Corinth in, in mind here specifically. But this word of exhortation is timeless, even to us here this morning. It is. It's a timeless word of God. Paul was very concerned that his gospel preaching in Corinth, which many people had responded to in faith, because remember God appeared to him before he went to Corinth, and, and Paul was, uh, he was kind of all over the place, and, and God encouraged him and spoke directly to him and says, I have many people in this place. 
Hence he preached and planted a church and spent 18 months ministering to them. And so here we have this, this message specifically to the church and um, it has clear reference, of course, as we can see, to unbelievers. You know, there are, as I said before, there are different kinds of people in the church there were, that, that met at this church. There were true believers and those who thought they were believers. Those who were Christians and those who thought they were Christians. And so this word is timeless. And many people today think they're Christians, but they, they personally and intimately ignore and put off God's grace. They don't bow in faith and repentance towards God and, and have that intimate relationship with him where they can be legitimately called a son or a daughter of the living God. They go through the motions. In other words, for an unsaved person to hear the truth of God's grace in the gospel and reject it or even ignore it, if you want to put a softer word on it, is to receive it in vain. And Paul warns that against that. It's dangerous. It's dangerous because one's eternal destiny is at stake there on that. But of course, this also can refer to those who are saved and not growing in the faith. Even as Christians, even as genuine believers, you know, we can receive the God, we can see the grace of God in vain. You know, God's grace is not only about salvation. God's grace is the fact that you are still here today and you, and you are sitting under the sound of God's word and you have the opportunity of responding in faith and obedience to the word of God. God's giving you time to grow. God's giving you day after day, year after year, a time where you can come to him, even as a believer, and grow in his grace. This, their ongoing, the believer's ongoing sanctification in Corinth, it was zilch for many of them. It had come to a standstill. So much so that there was very little difference between the genuine believer and the one who was not. Paul was concerned about that. There were those who knew and experienced God's grace and salvation, but they, they were not working that out in their lives. It was not seen in their lives. It was useless. It was in vain they had received it. They were not building on the grace of God and the gospel. Rather, they were still on the milk rather than the meat of the word of God. You know what I mean? Paul uses that imagery actually later, earlier in the first Corinthians. And he says to the Corinthian church in first Corinthians chapter three, verse two, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you're not, you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able. In other words, these Christians that were babes, they hadn't grown. They'd received grace, they'd received the, the revelation from God via Paul, but they hadn't grown and obeyed and abided by the word of God. Many Christians like that. You know, you can be a disobedient Christian. If you're genuinely saved and not baptized, you are, in a measure, receiving the grace of God in vain. If you are continuing on in your sin and you know that something that you in your life you haven't repented of and not put it right before God and for other people, you are receiving the grace of God in vain. This appeal, this urging in verse 1 should be the heart cry of every true ambassador for Christ. How it pains me to see unsaved people hear the gospel and ignore it, just like it would pain you. Some of us were discussing that in our theology class this morning. People just don't seem to get it and they ignore it. 
but also of believers who, who seem to be content with mediocrity. And so to those people who receive the grace of God in vain, Paul here warns them. In his warning, he uses a quotation from Isaiah 49 verse 8, and this is what he says. In a favourable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is a favourable time. Behold, now is a day of salvation. In other words, there is an urgency in all this. What the Lord is saying through the Apostle Paul here in this section, now is the time. Now is the day. In other words, the Lord will only put up for a certain time with those who ignore, who treat indifferently His grace in the Gospel. Just like he warned those prior and flood, remember? What did he say? My spirit will not always strive with men. And so today he warns, behold, now is a favourable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Dear people, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Have you treated God's grace in vain in regard to that? Now is the day of salvation. Don't delay Repent and believe. Fellow saint, do not give up. Do not be discouraged. Do not flag even when the going gets tough. Do not treat God's grace toward you in vain. Yes, times are difficult, but that is no reason for you to turn tail and say, oh, I've been offended by the church or this or that or whatever excuse. It's still receiving the God's grace in vain and ignoring it. Remember that the Lord is with us, right? And we're His ambassadors. Let us continue to grow in his grace in order to image Christ. Secondly, an ambassador has a resolve. We see this in verse 3 to verse beginning of verse A. Uh, verse 4. Here we really see something of Paul's heart for the ministry in relation to others that he mixed with, those who were around him, people of his day. And what he does here is he begins by showing how careful he is before men. That is what the work of the ambassador for Jesus Christ is going to require. This is what it demands. That we are careful before those whom we associate with and whom we mix with and people who know us. You see, Paul is not only a man of principle, but also a man of practice. It's easy to be a man of principle or a woman of principle. I'm using the term in generic ways here. It's easy to say, I believe this, I believe that, I believe this and I don't believe that. But what about our practice? This is what Paul's all on about here. James records that faith without works is dead. 2.26 And so what we need to understand here is that if our life in Christ does not drastically alter the way we live in the world around us, our faith is, you know what, a useless thing. It's that plain, it's that simple. A faithful ambassador for Jesus Christ will resolutely determine that his conduct in life will in no way undermine the ministry of the gospel. That's what he will resolutely determine. That's what we should all resolutely determine. And here is our example. The apostle shows us how the ministry is to be viewed. You know, to the apostle, the ministry of the gospel, listen to this, was greater always than himself. You got that? The ministry of the gospel was greater always than himself. Oh, we get that back to front sometimes, don't we? We get that so back to front. As an ambassador, what is my work? You know what the work of an ambassador is. 
No matter where it is, in your home, in your workplace, wherever, in this church, wherever you are. Is your work as an ambassador greater than yourself? So often we put ourselves first, right? So often we relegate even the things of God and spiritual things, the church and the assembly of the Lord's people to a second place or even lower on the scale of priority because we want to pamper and look after ourselves. Our own egos are so powerful and so demanding. But not the Apostle Paul. And he's our model, remember? He's our model. He understood that in order for the ministry not to be blamed in any way, or discredited in any way, he had to be blameless and above reproach. He understood that. Regardless of any circumstance, the Apostle Paul resolutely determined that he would not offend, he would not cause anyone to stumble, he would not through his behaviour in any way, shape or form discredit the ministry. That's what his resolve was. Paul would avoid anything in his life that would bring disgrace or cause anyone to find fault or point the finger at the truth of the gospel. Is that how you view the ministry? Is that how you view the witness of this local church? It should be. It should be. It needs to be. You will know of many occasions where professing Christians who through their actions seems to be kind of a weekly thing that the media brings to our attention about the shame and scandal on a so-called professing believer have brought upon themselves through their conduct. You would hear about it. But you know what? It doesn't stay a personal thing. The finger is not always just pointed at the, at the man or the woman who have, have brought into disrepute. The finger soon is pointed from personal shame and becomes an attack on the purity and the truth of the gospel of whoever believe in it. The veracity and the integrity of the gospel is once again discredited. This has happened over and over and over again. You will know about these times. Hence Paul here resolved to only engage in behaviour that would only commend the ministry, never discredit it. We see that in the beginning of verse 4. You see that? You see, folks, it's not theology degrees or how many books you have read or the popularity you have even amongst Christian circles or the doctrinal stances that you have or the personal success that you might enjoy and and experience. It's none of those things that commend us, right? It's none of those things. It is our lives lived before people that what people read. That what commends us. As ambassadors for Christ, we need to reevaluate our lifestyles, our business dealings, our relationships with our spouses, our family, with our work colleagues, with our employers, and the list could go on. All those people, we need to reevaluate our responses and reactions to them. Why? Because a faithful ambassador of Christ were resolved to do nothing that would discredit the gospel witness, only that which commands it and ourselves as faithful servants of God. Thirdly, an ambassador's conduct, we see this is from the second part of verse 4 right through to the end of verse 10. What we can ask now is in what specific way and how does Paul conduct himself 
as a faithful ambassador in order to protect the ministry. What does this look like? Well, we see from the second part of verse 4 right through to the end, verse 10, where we have this massive list of the many areas of Paul's life that he seems to be tested in and that used to cause him grief. The list in verse 5 particularly is very specific as it highlights Paul's own personal experience that, praise the Lord, we will probably never have to go through. But the way he handled these circumstances is the point of the section. That's what the point is. This is what Paul's example is teaching us. What, did it, what, what is the permeating response to this? It is simply this, he endured. You see that? He endured. He pressed on. And dare I say, if there was ever something that was lacking in the Christian church today, it's endurance. Paul never threw in the towel. He never gave up and merely followed the dictates of his own personal feelings and emotions. And they're pretty powerful, I know. Personal feelings and emotions are pretty powerful. But you know they can be really wrong. He never said, Paul never said it's too hard. It's just too costly. You know, if there ever was a guy that, in our human way of thinking, could have said that, it was Paul, because look at what he suffered. He never said it's too hard. He never said it's too costly. He didn't even say, I don't fit here. And then walk away. Never said that. We all know that life is unpredictable, right? So unpredictable. It throws curveballs at us all the time. But sad to say, many of us allow these unpredictable circumstances to control how we react and respond to them. But as believers, our character that has been nurtured by the indwelling Spirit of God will be, should be, that which dictates our responses to whatever comes our way. And you know what? And by God's power, we will endure under those situations. But so often, that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. When things are going well, when things are honky-dory, as we used to, I used to say longer, when everything is sweet as, it's easy to rejoice in the Lord and go on for Him, right? But when the fat hits the fan of life, that's another story. But here's how the Apostle Paul handled life's pressures to make sure that on every occasion, not just some, every occasion, he did not cause offence or discredit the ministry, as we see in verse 3. And so the list from verse 4, last part of it through to 10, can be broken up into, if you wish, many ways, but I've just kind of looked at them as as negatives and positives. And, And the negatives are those internal pressures brought about by external hardship. That's what happens here. In other words, Paul learned endurance through the things he experienced externally and that he was called to suffer. He learned endurance. It was through the beatings, as we have recorded here. It was through the imprisonments and the riots that he was caught up in, the hard works that he had to do, the times of sleeplessness that he experienced, the times of physical hunger that he had to bear in verse 5. It was by these things that he was afflicted, you got that? Or emotionally and spiritually challenged within. How often when things happen, 
curveballs, if you want to put it that way, hit us and our emotions kick in and take over and dictate how we will respond. That is so, so wrong. Emotions are not bad. Emotions are good. We are emotional people. God invented emotions, but they must be bought under the authority and submission of the Spirit of God and the Word of God. You see, it was through these circumstances that Paul's feelings and emotions could have ruled and governed his actions and behaviour. But it was on this, in this difficult, can I say, schoolroom of life that this ambassador for Christ endured for the gospel's sake. That's what he did. He did not allow the major and the minor hurts and nasties of life cause him to take a back seat or from pressing toward the goal which was his or from finishing the race that was set before him by his sovereign God. He didn't back off. Wow. What a man. What a man. What a man of God. You see, when I see his example, I cannot help but hang my head in shame. I look into my heart and see a lack of love and, and value for the gospel, for the truth of God. I see how circumstances and, and resulting emotions too often have, have driven my responses. They've all, they've all been about protecting myself rather than and protecting at all costs the integrity and the mission of the gospel, whether it be in my home or whether it be out on the street or wherever. I have experienced difficulties but have not looked upon them as God's school of hard knocks so that the gospel can be advanced and my faith strengthened in the Lord. My dear people, I know that I'm not alone on this. Surely we all have some repenting and enduring to do on this, right? So what was Paul's secret? What was the secret? How did he manage to endure under such unbelievable physical and emotional difficulties? Look at verse 6 and 7. They tell us that Paul endured by sinking his roots deeper into God rather than himself and his circumstances. That's what these two verses tell us. In other words, God's greatness and his majesty and his glory was the ballast that kept Paul on an even keel throughout all the trials of life and the curveballs. In other words, God's greatness and God's glory was everything to him. When the going got tough, this ambassador for Christ never retreated to protect himself, but dug, dug deeper into the person and the character of God himself. That's what he did. We know this because look at how and what he endured in verse 6 and 7. By the way, this endurance here is not that of a marathon runner or, or just like a, a mountaineer who climbs unbelievable cliff faces, etc. That's just human resolve. That's just human stuff. But Paul, it says here in verse 7, in the power of God, remember, working with God, was enabled to dig in, hold the fort, stay the course and win the battles. That's what happened. He made it his duty to endure, verse 6, in matters of, of personal moral purity. You got that? This is how he did it. He made it his duty to, to, 
to endure in moral purity. He also endured in knowledge. That is, he never wavered from the truth of Scripture. You remember how things happen? And well, we, we get all sorry for ourselves and we protect ourselves and, and, um, and all of a sudden the things that we know from Scripture to be right take a back seat. No, not with Paul. Not with Paul. He endured in knowledge. He endured also with patience, we see on the next on the list. That is, he put up with people, even the downright hard, gnarly, difficult ones. He put up with people. He endured with kindness. In other words, he puts God's grace, grace into action by doing good to those who really, really irritated him. In other words, he came, overcame evil with good. He endured by yielding himself to the Holy Spirit without reservation. He lived a spirit-filled life. He walked in the spirit, Galatians 5.16 tells us. And being yielded to the spirit, you know what that produced? It produced authentic, sacrificial, Christ-like love, even for the Corinthians. And so he could say in verse 11 that we haven't read today, O Corinthians, our heart is open wide to you. Hear how he loved them. You see, Paul, our example, also endured in verse 7 by holding fast the word of truth. In other words, he never compromised its commandments and its instruction even when circumstances and culture were so heavy upon him enticing him to reject them. He never did that. He endured by depending on the power of God and the gospel. Never on his own cleverness, by the way. Never on his own cleverness or some new edgy idea. He never defaulted to those things. Matter of fact, he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he described how he preached to the Corinthians. He says, I preach so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. He also endured by using the weapons of God that are provided for his ambassadors. It says here in the end of verse 7, the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. These weapons he describes in a later text of scripture, uh, well, in uh, chapter 10 actually, and uh, of this, this book, for though we walk in the flesh, he says, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but, the, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. When a sinful thought came into the Apostle Paul's mind, you know what he did? He turned to the Word of God. It beat down. It took captive every thought. When evil thoughts come to your mind, simple thoughts come to your mind, what do you do? Do you run with them? Make excuses for them? Justify them? No, no. You are commanded as a faithful ambassador to take them captive. In other words, lock them up, put them in the place of death in the power of God. Paul was a faithful ambassador for Christ and that he endured attacks and spiritual battles he was fully armed, not with human wisdom or philosophies or clever argument, no. He endured by holding the sword of the Spirit. That's what he did. The sword of the Spirit being the Word of God, being fully powerful and fully sufficient for no matter what comes across our path. And finally, in verses 8 to 10, like every faithful ambassador for Christ will know, Paul endured through contradictory judgments. Or maybe we can call them contradictory realities. You see, folks, not everyone loves a faithful ambassador. You got that? 
as we have in our text in verse 8 to 10, there will be those who honour you and also those at the same time, those who despise you. Get used to that. But don't get hung up on it. Endure through it. There will be those who speak well of you and then at the same time those who will malign you. Didn't they do that with the Lord Jesus? There will be those who call you a deceiver and yet you are, as you know, God's true and faithful ambassador. You'll be well known by some, but you'll be a nothing person to others. These, these are contradictory realities. These, these are things that happen. You'll be considered a deadbeat loser by some, but you know, according to the word of God, you have eternal and abundant life. And what can get better than that? You may suffer punishment like Paul, but you know what Paul understood, even though under his, all his suffering, is that it is God that determines his end. Our times are in his hands, folks. There will be times of deep sorrow and even depression, but because of God's grace, there is this deep, abiding, and unfailing joy. How's that for a contradictory realities? How that helps us to endure. Being a faithful ambassador means that we're willing to make ourselves poor so that others will hear the gospel, might believe, and they might be made eternally rich. Isn't that what Jesus did too? Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor so that through and in his poverty we might be made rich. What a paradox it is to be an ambassador for Christ. It really, really is. But that's okay. Just let's endure. Dear saints, how we need to endure and follow Paul's example. How we need to be driven by the word of God in order to respond rightly in the circumstances of life rather than be satisfied with protecting ourselves at the expense of the ministry. Let us all be encouraged to endure as faithful ambassadors for Jesus Christ, shall we pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truthfulness Lord, it hits home to our very hearts. And all of us, Father, we need to repent and come before you. Lord, we want to be faithful ambassadors. We want to be those who endure no matter what. Help us, Lord, in this we pray, even this week, in the home, in the workplace, wherever we are. May not the circumstances of life drive our responses May we be driven by, as Paul was, being men and women of the book, being men and women who were filled with the Spirit of God, be men and women who would put that into practice, as Paul did, kind and patient and loving. Help us with this, O Lord, we pray. Now as we go, take us to our homes in safety, and Lord, we long for your continual blessing upon us. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.